Hey everyone, welcome back to the Theater Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today. Today I have Dr. Graham Oppie. We're going to be talking about defining religion and defining atheism. So, Dr. Oppie, thank you for joining me. How are you doing today? Ah, oh, it's a pleasure to be back, really. <laughs> I know, I'm super pumped to talk to you again. And today it's getting close to evening here in America and Virginia, and you're just waking up in Australia. And yeah, I'm super pumped. Um, so, to start things off, do you want to talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do and what you Got you interested in thinking about things like defining religion and defining atheism? Okay, so I'm a philosopher at um, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I've worked for the last, rather a long time now, at least the last 25 years, primarily in philosophy of religion. And uh, one of the questions that invariably comes up, not so much, I think, in... um, sort of the professional philosophy of religion, but in circles once you move outside um, the kind of professional philosophy of religion is about the definition of terms like atheism and to a lesser extent religion. Mm. Yeah, it's super cool. And I think something that like when I first got introduced in this whole like world, worldview field was definitions were um, controversial, especially with atheism. Like it's very contra- controversial um, today. So like, one initial like point of thinking about it is like, why should we even care about defining religion and defining atheism? I think a lot of people are like, well, you know, if you're an atheist, you know, um, it's fine, whatever that means to you, you can define it in your own way or same thing with like someone who's maybe religious. Um, so why do you think we should care about defining religion and defining atheism in like a proper sense? Okay. So, I mean, I guess there's a couple of things to say here. I mean, it depends a bit what you, th- what the purpose of doing the defining is. So in um, Anglo-American philosophy over the last hundred years or so, for a long time, there was this kind of project of trying to define words that were in common use. So, you know, can we say, um, give necessary and sufficient conditions for knowledge or think about it this way, fill in the blank, blank necessarily X knows that P if and only if, and then fill in the blank or you might try and do the same thing for causation or work of art and so on and what emerged was that this is extraordinarily difficult there are lots of people who are kind of skeptical that you can actually produce a definition of that kind that a satisfies various conditions that you want a good definition to have so it's not circular it's not defining the more clear in terms of the less clear and so on and on the other hand it survives counterexamples so it really does pick out what it's supposed to pick out Uh, And so that kind of project, I think, has become questionable. And if you're thinking about defining religion and atheism, it's important that it's not against that kind of background in order to satisfy that kind of um, analytical project. However, words like religion and atheism are, first of all, contested. So um, people actually have different ideas about what religion is and atheism are. And second, along with this contestation, it's arguable also that there are quite a lot of different things that these words can mean in different contexts. That's particularly clear for religion. Maybe it's less clear for atheism. And so when people are getting together to discuss these topics, it's often useful for them to say how they understand what the word religion means or what the word atheism means so that they can have a productive discussion and they don't end up talking past one another. And that's, even if 
even if I'm very clear about what I mean by atheism and you're very clear about what you mean by atheism, when we try to have a discussion about atheism, we might just kind of fail to engage because we aren't actually talking about quite the same thing. Mm. So what do you think then, like, what should we do, like, to talk about the same thing? Like, when we're trying to find up, like, a proper definition um, when defining, like, religion and atheism, what, what should it do? Um, well, it might not be necessary for us to agree on a definition. It's more that if I know how you're using the term, I can understand what you're saying. And if you know how I'm using the term, you can understand what I'm saying. Of course, it would be easier for us if we agreed on the definition, uh, because then we wouldn't have to keep doing this sort of translation in our heads. Oh, okay, so that's what he means, right? Mm -hmm. It would just, it would be more straightforward. Um, there's a bunch of different things that you might think that you're going to do if you're giving a definition, even from your own point of view, right? Even if it's just for this kind of trying to avoid talking past each other project. So you might think that the important thing is to sort of identify the phenomena that you think are picked out by the term. So in certain circles, people talk about nominal definitions. What they've got in mind for a nominal definition is that, say, I'm, say I'm defining religion that my definition picks out all the things that are religion and doesn't pick out any of the things that are not religion. And perhaps it's not just that it does this for the actual world, but it does it for kind of other possible worlds as well. Uh, so that's one sort of way of thinking about a definition where the kind of what matters is just the class of things that are being picked out. A different project that you might have, um, and in some circles this is called looking for a real definition, is to say something about what the essential intrinsic properties of whatever it is that we're talking about are. So that's quite different from picking the things out. The idea is that you've then got, um, you sort of know what the nature of the thing is, and that's what the definition is giving. There are lots of people who are sceptical about whether you can give real definitions, but there are some people who think you can. That's another thing that you might be doing. There's a third thing, at least for some concepts or um, some words that you might think to do as well. And we'll come back, I think, and talk about this a bit more later. But you might think that you can give a, what gets what's called in the literature an ameliorative definition. You might be able to give a definition that's kind of tailored to your political goals and ambitions and in some circumstances that might be a good thing to do so it's not the question isn't so much what uh, what do we mean by the word religion but rather something more like what should we mean given our kind of goals and purposes for um of, of, of certain kinds perhaps our activist purposes mm. so there's a bunch of different things that you might be doing um in giving a definition and it will kind of depend on the conversation that you're having, people that you're talking to, what kind of definition it's appropriate for you to give, I think. So do you think then, like, can a definite, like, we have a definition that, like, exhaustively covers, like, what is and what isn't maybe, like, maybe, like, a religion or, like, covering, like, atheism? Because one of the things I thought about, um, I think you mentioned the paper, is, like, you talk about Wick Wittgenstein. Um, he always talked about, like, the idea of, like, a game where there's, like, no, like, 
totally like exhaustive definition that we can use of a game, but we kind of have a sense of like what we know is a game, but what is not a game. Um, do you think like we could have something exhaustive with religion and atheism, or do you think it could be similar to that? So I suspect that it's that um, if you're going back and thinking about the kind of necessary and sufficient conditions, it will be very hard um, to give a, a definition of religion um, in much the same kind of way that it's very hard to give a definition of game. And mm -hmm. you might think that Wittgenstein was right about games and you might think that that's just going to carry over to religion. Um, on the other hand, there might... I mean, if you're thinking about this um, not in that way, but in terms of the, this is how I'm thinking about what they are, then you might be able to give something more precise or for certain purposes, it might be useful just to make a stipulation. By religion, here and now, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, so, uh, for example, if you're an anthropologist, you might think that there's a certain set of cultural practices that that's what you want to be talking about when you're picking out when you're using the word religion and you can just say what that maybe you can say what those practices are and in that way give a definition that will be useful for your work as an anthropologist but maybe not very useful when you're talking to somebody having an argument in the street about um, certain kinds of religious claims so maybe then at this point it'd be helpful to talk about like the controversies in like defining these things because I think it's helpful to like, kind of look at that. So like, what's the controversy about defining religion? Like, where where's the debate in trying to understand like what is and what isn't like religion? So in the academy, so um, and across a range of different disciplines for at least seventy or eighty years, I would think there's been this view um, that circulated that when Western scholars use the word religion or define the word religion, they end up privileging Western cultural practices over non-Western cultural practices. That um, they And so what they end up doing is not really understanding um, cultural, sort of other cultural practices because they see them through the lens of their own cultural practices. So this is one of, this is quite a big um, topic in religious studies, but also in areas like religious sociology and so on. And um, there are still quite a lot of people who advocate for not using the word religion at all um, when we're talking about sort of about global cultural practices or being very careful in crafting any kind of definition. So I think that's where the main debate about religion, at least in the academy, is located. Mm -hmm. So do you think that like some, the worries that some people that maybe like from the West are too narrow in their definition of a religion where the like Eastern, like I don't invite like Westies, but like non-Western religions, like um, they may, like many people see them as religions, but like the Western, like Western religions may, or people like from the West may like not include them in their definition of religion. Well, suppose you start off by saying that kind of what's central to religion is God, an omnipotent, omniscient, perfectly good being, right, who created the world. Well, that mm -hmm. immediately rules out an enormous number of um, things that we ordinarily think of as religions, right? They mm -hmm. turn out not to be religions after all. So that would be a terrible definition if, if you're taking seriously the idea that um, Taoism, Buddhism, the 
practices associated with the rainbow serpent and so on are all religions. Mm. So I'm curious then maybe like, let's talk about atheism then. Um, like what's the controversy in defining atheism then, Dr. Oppie? So I think this controversy is quite different. I think that at least in kind of North American philosophy of religion, there isn't really um, disagreement about the definition or, of atheism, or at any rate, there isn't much. Right? There's a lot of people who are kind of agreed on how to define that term and a bunch of other terms that go with it. So how to define theism, how to define agnosticism, and to the extent that people think about this, how to define innocence. On the other hand, outside of the academy, especially on the internet, there's enormous range of debates, arguments, very intense arguments about the word atheism and its use. Now, how does that, how does that come about? Uh, I guess there's a couple of things. One thing is that um, although attitudes towards atheism vary, there are lots of people who would like to be able to call themselves atheists. And so, I mean, it's a kind of, for, I mean, for lots of people, it's, the term has a negative valence, but for lots of people, it has a positive one. There's lots of people who would like to be able to call themselves atheists, right? So that's, that's one part of it. And um, another part of it is that if you define atheism in certain kinds of ways, you might think that that then gives you, I mean, I think this is a mistake, but you might think that it then gives you a certain kind of argumentative advantage, right? If you frame atheism in a certain kind of way, it means that atheism becomes the default position or something that has to, you know, the, the, that's very easy to argue for. I and mean, I think a kind of analogy here that will work for some people is to think about presuppositionalism, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, um, lots of people who are, who take up a presuppositionalist stance on the internet seem to think that it gives them a kind of almost impregnable argumentative advantage, right? Mm -hmm. And so similarly, if you think of if you think of atheism as just not having theistic beliefs, uh, it's it becomes it's kind of hard to argue against that. Much harder mm -hmm. to argue against that than it is to argue against the position that says there are no gods. So you think what you're saying then, Dr. Oppie, is like if like a lot of people, um, maybe like the atheist side of things might have um, and these as well have gripes with presuppositionalists because what they can what they try to do is like put all the pressure on the person they're arguing against, saying like, hey, you have to do all this work, you have to show how you're um, doing all these things. And then the atheist, maybe like the lack of belief, atheist might be trying to do like a similar thing or putting putting the front on like the theist or someone else say, hey, you have to prove this. All I'm doing is like negating a belief. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that that's that's part of what's going on. I mean, I I think it's quite complicated, um, but mm -hmm. yes, um, it, I mean, simplifying a bit. That's I think that there's a certain element of that. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, there definitely is. Like even in the way, like like if I've listened to interactions um, where you have precepts and like how they may interact with people and like maybe like negating beliefs. Like there's similarities in how they like interact with like the their interlocutors and like the certain like situations and whatnot. So yeah. Um, so I'm wondering then, when we're talking about like the nature of definitions, um, one of the questions is, should the d definitions require persuasiveness? Like, should they be persuasive to people? Um, and should they require like maybe like an intellectual, um, like a sense, like an atheist, like a definition of atheist must include someone that like um, is persuaded that there is no God or something along these lines. Right. So I'm thinking that definitions should not be loaded 
And that's kind of part mm. of the problem that we were thinking about before, about um, that kind of loading the definition so it makes it easier for you to argue, right? Yeah. Or something like that. I don't think that um, you should necessarily, where, where you've got, so, so there's this idea, old idea in philosophy, at least 50 or 60 years old, that some concepts are essentially contested so that there's, there's quite a lot at stake in how you think about, say, justice, for example. Um, what you shouldn't expect in a case like that, if you think that really there, people just operate with different conceptions of justice, you shouldn't expect that there's going to be a definition that's going to persuade everybody, oh, that's what we should mean by the term, right? And maybe it's all right if there are people using different conceptions of religion or different conceptions of atheism, if it turned out that they were, there was a reason to think that those concepts were relevantly like justice, um, where there's kind of you know, normative, there's normative stuff at stake and people just disagree about the normative stuff. Um, so I don't think that you should expect to secure agreement and I don't think that you should load your definitions in a way that favours you either, right? And so they're, the, I think, two aspects of the question that you are asking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the idea of, like, not trying to, like, load um, definitions because it's make it, like, very hard. So if you think of, like, something like religion, um, I think hopefully, like, the intent of, like, if you define it, you want it to be, like, a very broad view um, where you can encompass a bunch of different people from different beliefs. But then, like, as you are talking about earlier, like, if you limit it to, like, the idea of, like, an omnipotent, omnipresent, um, perfectly good God, like, there's a lot of things that we would think of as religions um, that you couldn't have be considered religion if that's your definition. So I think that's, I think there's something really right about that, about not um, trying to load our definitions, because it's just going to lead to a lot of chaos, it seems like. Right. I mean, even, of course, if someone insists on doing that, um, you can say, okay, that's your. That's how you're going to use the word. It's not how I'm going to use the word. When we're talking to each other, it's going to be more complicated now mm -hmm. because you have to remember what I mean. Um, mm. Yeah. So how should we go about like even like this discourse? Because I think for a lot of people, they might be like, "Hey, if you want to define religion that way, fine. Like, who cares? Or like, you want to define atheism that way, fine. Who cares? Like, like how do we make progress in like this dialogue? And like, like what should we be aiming towards um, in defining these things? So. Um, as I said, in some ways, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter if we use the terms differently. It just makes conversations harder. But it's good if we can reach agreement on the use of terms just because it makes things easier. And so uh, I think that the kind of practice that you get uh, in, say, in North American philosophy of religion with respect to terms like theism and atheism is going to be pretty good. Right? There's pretty widespread agreement, not total agreement, but widespread agreement. If we're using the word theism, um, that we mean something like there's at least one God. If we're using the word atheism, we mean something like there's no gods. If we're using the word agnosticism, we mean suspension of judgment between those two positions. If we're using the word innocent, we mean somebody who's just never thought about it, never entertained the thought or uh, considered the question the proposition whether there are gods mm -hmm. uh, um, and and then that just kind of works well as a as a framework for discussion in philosophy of religion 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is super helpful to have like a definition um, that a lot of people can agree upon because it's easy to have these conversations. So my next question for you then is like, what is, what are, I don't even know how to say this word that's on my question sheet. I'm trying to think of what I was thinking of. Like, what are ameliorative definitions? I'm trying to think of the exact word here. Okay. So I guess the term was introduced into philosophy in about the year 2000 by Sally Hasslinger in a paper that she wrote about race and gender. And she was thinking about words like man and woman, black and white. And she was thinking there that maybe for certain kind of political purposes, it might be useful to define those words for the, for, for the political purposes um, in ways that are connected to your ultimate political goals. So she proposes, for example, there that you might think, um, so actually I, I will um, read out the definition that she gives so that I don't get it wrong, um, that uh, you might think of woman as someone who's regularly and for the most part observed or imagined to have certain features presumed to be evidence of biological role in reproduction, something like that. Right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, what's added to that and that in virtue of that, they are taken to have negative standing of certain kind, right? They're thought because because of that, they're oppressed in various ways or whatever. Now, that's not being put forward as a definition that it's imagined everybody is going to agree to. It's rather that it's a definition that might be very useful when you're thinking about what the kind of goals of a feminist organisation so that's and what what I thought in the paper was that you could imagine that at certain times in history, it might have been useful for um, atheist activists to have kind of ameliorative definitions of atheism um, or of religion. Um, so being non-religious um, uh, that are framed in similar terms. So maybe, for example, to be non-religious is kind of being regularly and for the most part observed or imagined to have certain features, presumed to be evidence of negative standing on the path to salvation or something like that. Um, And maybe that would work. And this is kind of hypothetical because I don't imagine that for people in the 21st century in the West that there's going to be much use for ameliorative definitions of atheism and religion. But, you know, in the 18th century in France or the UK, it might have been quite a different manner. Mm -hmm. So, like, if we were to use, like, ameliorative definitions, like, if we were going to use them today to, like, structure, like, how we define, like, religion and atheism, how do we do it? Because I'm trying to get my mind around exactly, like, what what the implications of this is. So I don't think that you would propose this as... So as a definition that you would use to try to destructure an academic discipline, for example, because it's contentious, right? Mm-hmm. It's, the, the idea is that it's a definition that suits the purposes of certain kinds of activists. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. So I'm curious then maybe the next thing to talk about Dr. Oppie is like looking at like the, 
how things are defined outside of the West. Um, I remember we talked about this like in one of the previous conversations you did. One of the things you talked about is like philosophy of religion is very like Western centered, um, where it doesn't look a lot at like Eastern religions or like you talked about like the original religion of like um, the native people of Australia. So like when we're looking at religion and atheism, how do these definitions, are, are they going to differ outside of the West? Like if you talk to someone um, in the Eastern world, would they have a different view on what these things mean? So, so I think that's a good question. Maybe it looks different depending upon whether we're looking at countries where there's widespread use of English versus where there's not, uh, because there's kind of questions about translation, whether there are words in other languages that correspond very closely to our words religion and atheism. Um, so the particular case that I discuss is India, and that is in the paper, the particular case I discuss is an example from India, and it's amongst English-speaking people, people who are actually writing and publishing in English. Um, mm -hmm. So that kind of narrows down the scope a bit. Um, I think that it's quite hard to tell whether there are really important differences between the way that um, the English speakers in India and the English speakers in the United States use the, the words atheism and religion. Uh, the particular paper that I looked at was one which was trying to argue that atheism is understood rather differently by Indian scientists than, than it is by scientists and philosophers of religion in the West. Uh, so there's a paper by... Um, Thomas um, called uh, uh, Atheism and Unbelief Among Indian Scientists. And he wanted to argue that there's this, there are these really radical differences between uh, scientists in India who call themselves very strong atheists and then certain people in the West who call themselves strong atheists. And what he pointed to in the paper was that there are all these ways in which these Indian scientists who insist that they're hardcore atheists still participate in various Indian cultural traditions that are kind of embedded in Indian religions. In particular, he was looking at Hindus, so embedded in the Hindu religion. So these people will still observe um, festivals, give their children names that ultimately can be traced back probably to the Vedas, um, a whole lot of things um, like that. And he says, and this is radically different from people in the West who just, you know, the kind of hardcore atheists in the West just don't do those sorts of things. And he points to Richard Dawkins as an example. And I think that he's just wrong about that. I mean, Dawkins himself actually has children with names that are derived from Christian tradition, observes Christmas in the way that lots of non-believers do. It's still kind of family time and so on. And it seemed to me that actually, if there are differences here, they're much more subtle and harder to detect than Thomas imagines. There may well be differences, um, important differences, but it would take something more than um, kind of casual um, observation of people in the West in order to determine what they are. And I think that there are quite formidable 
difficulties to doing this because although we have various kind of global survey instruments that are meant to provide us with data about believers and non-believers, I think that those survey instruments are, are all very poorly designed. They tend to lump non-religious people into a single category and don't distinguish between people who have quite firm beliefs and people who kind of flip-flop doesn't really also doesn't really properly distinguish between people who are um i'll say agnostic and people who are committed to non-belief and so we actually just don't have data um we don't have data with with respect to particular countries like India, and we don't have kind of global data that would help to answer the question. So I just think it's an open question whether there are significant differences or not, despite the fact that there are some people who've been writing papers trying to point to where the significant differences might lie. I think it's kind of premature at this stage to draw mm. any conclusions. So I think the most an interesting point here to turn to now is like in your mind, like um, properly like defining these things. So maybe starting with like religion, um, Dr. Oppie, how would you, like, what do you think is like a proper definition of like what religion is? So a definition that I use in my work would be probably a better place to start here. So uh, someone, someone else that I quite admire, um, an anthropologist, Scott Atron, wrote a book back in the very early 2000s called In Gods We Trust. And in that work, he puts forward what he says is a stipulative definition of the word religion that picks out the phenomena that he wants to talk about as an anthropologist doing kind of cross-cultural study of various kinds of cultural practices, which he's quite happy to call religious practices. And I think, although his definition, I think, is kind of narrower than the one that I, I would want to complicate his definition in certain ways. It seems to me that his definition um, is sort of a really useful one to work with um, and that philosophers of religion would do well to think about Atrin's definition and possibly adopt it for themselves. And so that's something that I've suggested in um, various places. Uh, in various of my writings in the last five or six years. Mm -hmm. What exactly is his definition? Okay. Do you really want me to read it out? It's very complicated. <laughs> we got time. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I wrote, I wrote it down because there's no way I'm going to remember it. Um, uh, I mean, I, can, can, I could describe it roughly, but it's better if I give it to you. So this isn't exactly his definition. I've modified it slightly because I wanted it to be clear that the definition would extend to cover um, religions like Buddhism and Hinduism. Right? So. Mm -hmm. so religions are passionate communal displays of costly commitments to the satisfaction of non-natural beings and or the overcoming of non-natural regulative structures so the first, for the first bit, the non-natural beings think gods. For the non-natural regulative structures, think our sort of cycle of reincarnation, rebirth, and karmic score, that kind of stuff. Resulting from evolutionary canalization and convergence of the following four things. Widespread belief in non-natural agents and or non-natural regulative causal structures. Second, hard to fake expressions of costly material commitments which might be money, time, effort, 
and so on, um, to the satisfaction of those non-natural agents and or the overcoming of those non-natural causal structures. Three, mastery of people's existential anxieties, think um, fear of death, worries about loneliness, and so on. Uh, so mastery of people's existential anxieties by those costly commitments. And four, ritualized rhythmic sensory coordination of the things just mentioned in communion, congregation, and intimate fellowship. All right, now that, that definition has a lot of elements to it. And the elements that it picks out, you find across the globe in cultural mm -hmm. practices. And it, it, I mean, it's, it's clear enough how you can see things like Christianity and Islam and Judaism fitting this definition, but also you can see how things like um, Taoism and um, Hinduism Buddhism, Shintoism, you know, and the uh, indigenous practices in Australia with respect to the rainbow serpent and so on, how they all fit. So that's why that it seems to me that it's kind of useful to think about religion in these terms. Mm. So do you think like, because I'm thinking about this definition, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of different things here. Like there's a lot, I was just like trying to write down main points yeah. I was going, do you think that like, there's any way to like, maybe like this, make this more like compact or like when we're defining religion, like, is it just like so complicated that like, we're just gonna have to give a very, a pretty large definition or broad definition. So I think that if you're going to succeed in defining anything, it's going to end up being quite complicated. Mm -hmm. right? um, I mean, just think back to the efforts to define game or justice or whatever no simple definitions work i think we can be quite confident of that uh, but it's it seems plausible to me that religion is a kind of complex phenomenon if if the kind of skeptics are wrong and we and you know there is there is a kind of um, global phenomenon that it makes sense to call religion it will have something like the structure and features that patron is pointing to i think Mm -hmm. I know I should emphasize he doesn't say that this is a definite that this is anything more than stipulation. I mean he just stipulates this is what I'm going to mean by religion for my purposes because it picks out the phenomena I want to discuss. It's my idea that maybe you can think of it as something more than stipulation, that you can think of it as actually a kind of useful contender for here's an idea of religion that would serve um, various kinds of purposes, especially academic purposes, quite well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's helpful. And I think that, I don't know, I feel like religion might be a little bit trickier to define than atheism, because I think that religion is getting a lot more like specific. Um, maybe we'll get to that when we talk to like atheism, because I think with atheism, um, like you have atheism versus theism, and like, there's kind of like the two um, views you could have. But then once you get to like religion, like this is a subset of like theism. So like, with these definitions, we're giving religion, like you could be a theist and not be religious is kind of what we're still like, this, these, this definition leaves that open that door, right? Yeah, that's 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 right. Um, and one of the criticisms of very early attempts, like in the 19th century, some European theists more or less tried to define religion in terms of belief in gods. Right. Mm -hmm. That was the right. And you can see why. Or even worse, belief in God. Right. You can see why that looks very narrow from a kind of proper survey of cultural practices around the globe where God doesn't feature and perhaps even gods don't feature. I mean, if you think about ancestor worship, for example, it's not clear that we should think of the ancestors as gods. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's like when you get to your definition, like say you were like um, had commitments in some sense to like venerating your ancestors or something like that. Um, and like you were going to say like something like that. And there's gonna be this like ritual, but like you still like if you didn't believe in like these non-natural um, beings and you it wouldn't be a religion, it'd just be like kind of like something you do, which is which would be like similar than maybe talking about like these holidays. Like if you can like you can observe like Christmas um, and still not be like actually like have that belief that like um, in gods like or a god in that kind of belief. Right. So, I mean, this is interesting too, because there's, there are questions about the extent to which belief really matters and Mm -hmm. is really kind of central. So in some sense, if you're, if you, if you, if you grow up as um, a kind of practicing Hindu or Buddhist, you're going to think that there is reincarnation and there's the karmic wheel and the kind of there's this kind of goal of liberation maybe right but the belief's not that important it's the practices it's the 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 way you live um, that matters whereas in christianity believing has a really central role because it's central to salvation right Mm -hmm. um so the even thinking of the emphasis being placed on belief tends to kind of skew the, um, the the view that you've got about the phenomena I think mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely a challenge so maybe then like let's talk about so we talked about defining religion um, like how do we define atheism then like in your view Dr. Hoppy like how do you define atheism so I kind of went over this before but um, so I in in various places I've said look um what we want to do is we want to have a sort of coordinated definition of a bunch of things. It's not like we just want to define the word atheism without thinking about how we're going to define theism, agnosticism, mm-hmm. innocence, and so on. Uh, and this is because sort of quite generally in the background, there's this thought that, I mean, let's suppose that we can talk about propositions for a minute. There's a, at, at a kind of coarse grained level, there's only a small number of types of relationships that you can have to a proposition you can believe it you can believe it's negation you can suspend judgment about it or you can just have never considered it right and we can take that schema and we can apply it to the claim that there's at least one god and that gives you kind of good candidates for the definitions for theism atheism agnosticism and innocence right uh the the atheist thinks there are no gods. The theist thinks there's at least one God. And the monotheist thinks there's exactly one God, God with a capital G. Agnostics are just undecided, which is a way to go. And in a sense, have never thought about it. So very young children, people, perhaps people um, who've grown up in cultures where this idea just doesn't circulate and so on. Mm-hmm. So would you categorize like young children and like people like that as like agnostics? Like, like what? No, they ca- they'll definitely be characterized as innocence okay. if they're young enough, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, at a certain point, you don't even have the concept of God or a God. So you can't entertain the, the proposition that there are gods or that there's at least one God. And so you come out as innocent. And likewise, I'm assuming that, for example, dogs will come out as innocence, right? Mm-hmm. They, just, they just can't form the thought. 
So we can avoid this idea of like saying that like rocks or dogs or like babies are atheists or agnostics or things like this because we have this like yeah. category of innocence. That, that, that's that's what this category is doing. Right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, historically, there've been you know people who want to say things like we're all born atheists or we're all born agnostics, and that's not right. We're all born innocents, <laughs> I think. Yeah, so we're born in a sense, and then we kind of look at and based on how we're exposed to these things growing up, we kind of form like our background beliefs and form these beliefs on like, what do we believe in God, or do we just don't know, or there is no God, and that's kind of starts the formation of like, well, who would we be? Um, so if if you grow up in a culture where the notion of God or gods is important to your cultural practices, and I, as I said before, maybe that's not true universally, globally. Maybe there are places where, you, for long periods of time, no one ever had the concept of a god or god with a capital G, and so they just remained innocents forever. But in Western countries, it's kind of hard to reach adulthood without, at some point, coming to um, hear the word god and have some understanding of what it means mm-hmm. or might mean. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm wondering then, like, in your view, Dr. Oppie, um, what do you think the problem is? We talked about this a little bit earlier, but what's the problem with just defining atheism as, like, a lack of belief? I'm not going into, like, the ideas, like, so, like, if you want to say atheism is, like, the belief that God does not exist, um, what's the problem with just trying to say, like, hey, atheism is just, like, my absence of belief or something like yeah. that? So, suppose, I mean, it, one, one thing that's going to happen if you go that way is you're not distinguishing between those people who um, fail to believe in God because they don't even have the concept of God, people who fail to believe in God because they're actually suspending judgment between um, believing and not believing, and people who actually don't believe. Right? And those are categories that you want to be able to separate because there's different things to say about them. If one of the kind of oddities here is if you wanted, if you really said, look, I'm going to define um, atheism as not having the belief that there's at least one God, then just by symmetry, it will be plausible to define theism as not having the belief that there are no gods. Right? Mm-hmm. And then it would turn out that there are people who are both theists and atheists, namely the people mm-hmm. who suspend judgment. And mm-hmm. that that seems to not fit very well with the way that we ordinarily use these words, right? So it's sort of, it's, it's not the, if you kind of zoom in, it's hard to see why you might think that it was problematic to, um, if all you're focusing on is, you know, I lack the belief. And that's what makes me an atheist. But when you zoom out and you think about the wider picture and you think about connections to other terms that we use, I think it looks much less comfortable. It's, I mean, maybe it's just that it kind of offends the theorist in me, but I would much prefer to have the fourfold classification that I've suggested. I think it does less violence to the way that we use all of these words together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it helps make it more clear to you on like what exactly um, someone may be. Um, so I think it's helpful. So if atheism is just if if someone's going to say like, "Hey, I'm an atheist. I just lack a belief in God." I'm not saying there is no God. I just I don't I don't believe in God. So they could end up like being a the if we want to be like give like a 
if these are the opposite of that, and we give these a fair treatment, um, they might be an atheist, but they also might be a theist at the same exact time. If we're going to have like a lack of belief um, that there are zero gods, is that kind of where we're headed yeah. down with that route? Yeah. Yeah. That, so that was the idea, right? And it seems much more sensible to say that somebody who's undecided is in a very different category from someone who says um, there definitely isn't. And is also in a different category from somebody who's never thought about it, has never actually entertained the concept. Right? Those are three very different kinds of attitudes. And it's not particularly useful to collect the three of them together under the one heading. And I think, as you just said, right, you can illustrate how unhelpful that is by thinking about the corresponding definition for theism. Mm -hmm. Which I don't think anybody would want to adopt, right? I don't think there are any theists who would want to adopt that definition of theism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like a strange definition to say the least. Um, anything else, Dr. Oppie, you want to talk about here before we start to wrap up? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think the, this topic, the various questions about um, the definition of religion the definition of atheism, so the definition of those two words, um, throws up lots of kind of hard and interesting questions. But as I said at the beginning, it's not clear um, how significant um, these questions are mm -hmm. at the level of kind of two people talking to one another. So long as you, you can manage a conversation perfectly well with somebody who wants to insist that um, atheism is lack of belief, so long as you know that that's what they think, and so long as they know that that's not what you think, <laughs> use the word, and you can just go on using your words as you ordinarily will, or you can you can say, okay, given that there's this difference, let's not use those words, mm -hmm. let's avoid them, right? Because this is the other thing we can we could we could carry on our conversation at the level of there's this proposition, right? There are no gods. What's your attitude towards that proposition, right? Are you agnostic about it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it's negation, right? And now, and, and now we kind of, but just not use the word atheism at any point. Now we can have the substantive discussion about whatever it is. If it turns out that the person thinks only that they're suspending judgment, then that's fine. Um, we can have an argument then about whether they really should be suspending judgment or not. Mm. And yeah, if on the other hand, and if on the other hand it turns out that they really believe that there are no gods, that's really their position, then we can have a discussion about that too. I like the idea of kind of like bringing forth these propositions because I think it really helps, especially like when you're a deadlock of like, hey, um, let's just say like there are no gods. How do you feel about that proposition? Are you for it? Are you against it? Are you not sure? Um, it really helps like for the dialogues. Yeah, I think that's great. So thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate um, this conversation. And anything else you want to say about like how people connect with you or follow you and your work or things like that? Um, oh, no, not really. Um, I guess uh, – as far as the things that we've been talking about today go, I, apart from the paper, the place where I've probably given the most discussion of this is in my little um, elements book for Cambridge that, that's called 
atheism and agnosticism. Mm -hmm. um, so the first part of that is um, a slightly more elaborate discussion of the things that we've been talking about today. So if people wanted to follow up, that would be a place to go. The element's quite small. It's a like 30,000-word book, uh, and I don't think it's as difficult as things like arguing about gods. So, And I, I hope that that first chapter where I'm talking about what atheans, atheism and agnosticism are is reasonably accessible. So that's the only thing I'll say. Well, thank you so much for coming on, um, Dr. Grimapi. I really appreciate it. It's always um, so fun to talk with you, and I really appreciate this conversation. And yeah, thanks for coming on, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. I hope you found this conversation valuable. Um, and yeah, if you're new here, always encourage you to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff, and that's it. We'll see you next time. Um, Dr. Rappi, thank you so much again one last time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Bye, everyone. Have a